Hi, everybody. I'm Sam Graham Felsen. You're listening to Hey Man, the advice podcast for men. Each week, me and my co-host, Avi Klein, will field a question from one of you, our listeners, and do our best to answer it and try to sort out uh, how your question relates to some of the issues we struggle with in our own lives. Um, and we'll be joined by a special guest each week to, to help us sort things through. Um, this week, we have my friend Andrew Morantz. He is a staff writer at The New Yorker. Uh, he's a great reporter and a great writer. Um, and he's got a book coming out in the fall called Antisocial, which uh, documents his experiences hanging out with uh, online extremists, uh, right-wing podcasters, uh, neo-Nazis, members of the uh, alt-right and alt-light. Uh, and it's a great book, uh, which sort of documents a lot of the uh, ugliness and online toxicity um, that kind of manifested in Trump getting elected, but also in the country generally moving in this kind of scarily right-wing, racist, anti-Semitic direction, and of course also openly, hostily misogynistic direction. So we, we talked about Andrew's book, about his experiences reporting it, about what um, what it was like just being around dudes with, with literally the apotheosis of toxic masculinity, um, in, you know, as, as a part of their sort of proud identity, um, what kind of effect that had on him or didn't. Um, and, uh, it was a lot of fun. So we hope you enjoy this episode. I, last time I saw you bringing, um, chopped into the office. So and, Andrew and I also, full disclosure, I know this week's guest. <laughs> um, uh, we, we are friends. We work in the same uh, office space. And uh, <clears throat> I've seen him bringing in chopped. I am, I am a patriot of uh, sweet greens. Absolutely, you know. me too. But Andrew hates sweet greens. So, but you were going to tell me you you have like a whole thesis on this. But give I mean, me the how short long version. is this podcast? Like, how, <laughs> <laughs> like if you want to throw down, we can throw down. <laughs> I have my allegiance to chopped is like edging into. I mean, you can tell me as a therapist, but I think it's edging into like problem behavior it's wow. like it's like when they do the addiction cross you know checklist of like are you alienating your friends are you like changing your personal habits like when i open my phone to the map to the maps yeah. app it's like okay the nearest chopped is this i don't even have to ask it a lot of it comes down to the crispness of the lettuce which like if you go to a just salad you are dealing with soggy bullshit yeah, yeah. like you're not even in the realm of crit like the the baseline is is there a crunch to this like when you're dealing with just salad or what are the other i can't even remember the other bullshit ones you like it's like soggy cereal it's like why am i even doing this right sweet green i will grant you at least has decent lettuce it doesn't last as long because i have done the thing where i put like buy a salad and like save it for dinner uh -huh. sweet green has like very perishable which maybe is like speaks well to their it's lack of preservatives. Yeah. yeah. But like doesn't help me in my life. Yeah. I also find that Chopped is consistently like I think their branding is off. I think their branding makes them look like they're like they like should a be deli salad. Exactly. Yeah. And they make like the there's something about the signage that makes it look like it should be in a strip mall somewhere and makes yeah. it look unappealing. But the actual quality of the ingredients like Sweet Green is always trying to do like we have basil and we have like 
Thai shrimp, whatever. Total sucker for that. Yeah, I don't. The thing I hate about sweet green. I don't even eat any of that stuff, and I'm like, but I want to eat at a place that has that. Well, I hate how sweet green like tries to act like um, it's a mini version of Burning Man when you go into the fucking (laughs) place. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm getting lunch. Well, that's they're like free your soul every time. You know, Um, so that branding annoys me. But what I like about it, which leads me to my next question for you. I I like the fact that um, there's actually high calorie count in yeah. these things because they always add grains and like, you know, um, I I'm I'm a pescatarian so it's hard for me to get protein yeah. and like Dude. I like the fact that there's mad quinoa up in there. So <laughs> let me ask you this though, do you actually like salad or do you just eat it because you have to? I love to be salad. Healthy? It makes okay. me feel better, which is like actually a hedonistic thing. Yeah, like people, it's weird. People think that the only way to do hedonism with food is like the taste at the moment that it hits your tongue, which I also do genuinely enjoy the taste of a chopped... My chopped salad is a very like protein-y, salad salad. I've got like four different protein sources in my standard. You've got some mayo looking stuff in that. I've got a very (laughs) Caesar y dressing. That's I've got black beans, avocados. It's a very proteiny, not to mention the chicken and the cheese. It's all it's all protein. But um you you should really get this podcast sponsored by Chop, by the way. But um (laughs) That's the idea. Or I should just get my life sponsored by Chop. But they um after the way you feel an hour after you eat is like wildly different like there's a meal that i could eat that would taste really good and then just make me useless in ways that are not pleasantly useless not like a pleasant like three beers buzz kind of useless but a like how did i end up in this mess useless this is a very like late 30s what's happening to my body (laughs) no but it's funny (laughs) i mean but i totally relate to that because so so i grew up in um my parents hate when I use the word hippie household because they actually weren't hippies. They were lefty radicals and they like hated hippies because they <laughs> thought hippies were just like indulgent wastrels basically <laughs> and they were like out hitting the streets protesting. But to the typical American, they would brand my parents hippies. Like my dad grew a lot of our food. We had a garden and stuff. So I, I like just grew up eating incessant salads and vegetables and hated that stuff mm-hmm. um, and like didn't touch a vegetable in college and gained probably 50 pounds in mm-hmm. college from just eating constant French the fries yeah. and burgers. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but I am now, so a, I, I do actually now, I definitely think this is a thirties thing, a late thirties thing, but I definitely now like have a holistic attitude about pleasure regarding food where it's like, it's not just about the tongue feel. <laughs> it's about the stomach feel. Yeah. If the fucking thing hurts your stomach, yeah. it's not actually pleasurable. It's not pleasurable. And it took me so long to get to that point. Cause it used to be just like wolfing double cheeseburgers and having the good tongue feel. And then just being like, wow, this is horrendous for the next three hours. So, but having said that, I also like at this point, I really think, um, you can indoctrinate, your taste buds to like start really craving this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I actually like deeply enjoy a salad now. It's just association. It's yeah. just Pavlov. I mean, you'd associate it with the rest of your day. Like that's the, that's all my stuff about whatever I do in my life regarding to ex- writing exercise or food or anything. None of it is based on some scientific article that I read about cholesterol levels. And I disregard all that stuff. Speaking of parental upbringing, my dad is a public health epidemiologist academic Mm -hmm. and his 
like crusade is like ignore all that stuff really he's like the best thing about the food pyramid is that it's incomprehensible and nobody knows what it says uh-huh. because his his whole yeah he's like a skeptic about basically like using research beyond its capability to yeah. actually like produce meaningful results yeah and he's like we had a grain food pyramid now we have a carbs are bad food pyramid like right. we don't really know yeah. we know smoking is bad and exercise is good and beyond that just do what makes you feel good. And His we've inter- always known sugar was bad, though, right? Isn't that no, the one exception? Not no, at all. No, okay. that's why okay. that's why corn pops became sh- were sugar pops because they're like <laughs> they have more sugar in them. Like that was like why. I mean, you had to get as many carbs as you know because right. they helped you with your energy and whatever. Right. The early wars were all about sugar. Yeah, <laughs> but. Um, all right. Well, now that this is also, I'm enjoying. Uh, this is just three soy boys <laughs> talking about salad to kick off this yes. podcast. I wonder when Rand. it's going to become oat boys because that's really the new. <laughs> that's really the new milk. I actually, one of the things about my book is that there are people in my book calling me soy boy, and I'm like, that's one of the most dated things about the book. By the time it comes out, is it? That's not cool. That's the, no way. That's well, because cool. I mean, meme culture just yeah. evolves so fast. Yeah. It's like you're a soy boy if you say soy boy now. I really do love that phrase. <laughs> isn't <though>. it? <laughs> it's great. But isn't it? Isn't it um, now that even like people who are behind the curve, like us, yeah. uh, who still use soy boy, ironically, of yeah. course, uh, uh, isn't it um, now cooler to just say that's soy rather than to say soy boy? <laughs> that's you just so say soy. soy. Yeah, that's soy raven. Yes. I don't know. I mean, I don't. I tr- I, tr- I went through a phase of trying to like reappropriate these things ironically, and now I'm just like, yeah. it's better to just. Just be just a person. Stay out yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. I um, mean, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Let, let's let's talk talk a little bit about your book. Um, you you spent what like two years or a year and a half or so reporting. Yeah, more. I mean, depending yeah. on how you. There's embed. I mean, it's funny when you say how long you were embedded. There's like so much of the embedding is like internet lurking. Yeah. So it's hard to measure the boundaries <laughs> yeah. of. But you went to the you went to physical spaces with these people. You hung out in um, German uh, bratwurst bars, uh, <laughs> which of course they they invited you to those kind of locations. Um, you went to uh, the Deplora Ball, which was the the uh, uh, I guess all the alt lights. Um, sort of uh, festive uh, uh, alternative ball. Um, I haven't heard that distinction before. To, do you want to explain the difference? Between? You should explain the difference between the alt-right and the alt-light. I mean... For dummies. <laughs> basically, it all hinges on how openly white nationalists they are and where they stand on what they call the JQ, which is the Jewish question. Uh-huh. So the alt-right... I mean, these are technical definitions. When people would use the term alt-right in 2016, 2017, they would just mean anyone who freaks me out who yeah. I think is an extremist and a weirdo. And like people within the movement would say that. So Steve Bannon said, I want, I want Breitbart to be the platform for the alt-right. Mm-hmm. He now claims in retrospect, oh, I didn't really know what the term meant, which mm-hmm. is actually plausible because no one really knew what it meant. I think he probably should have known what it meant given the stuff he was reading and who he knew, but... Um, Did that switch really happen after Charlottesville because people associated Charlottesville with the alt-right? Is that when that no, word became toxic? No, I mean, Richard Spencer invented the term, and Richard Spencer right. has... Is, a, is an open white Has been an open white nationalist for years and years. So, like, I mean, he arguably... I don't know, like, what he was saying when he was friends with Stephen Miller at Duke, but, like, I think he's been an open white nationalist for maybe that long. Definitely a long time. So... If you were really reading him and listening to him and taking him seriously and literally, you would know what he was about. But at the same time, it is like true that he writes a fucking lot and you don't necessarily always know everything that somebody has written. And so whatever. I mean, not to like 
do too much sympathy for the devil, but like, I can't prove that people knew what the term meant because a lot of people I knew didn't know what the term meant. What it really technically meant was Richard Spencer claiming that where it really comes from is when Richard Spencer was the managing editor of a publication called Taki's Magazine. Taki was this Greek guy who was really into, again, proto-white nationalist ideas and has been like a kind of fringe figure in the conservative movement for a long time. He founded a magazine called The American Conservative with Pat Buchanan, who's another one of these kind of crypto-white nationalist figures. Um, And Richard was the managing editor of that publication. There was a speech that got turned into an article that was trying to redefine the movement and say, we're not neocons, we're not even paleocons, we're this new thing. And the new thing didn't have a name, and Richard Spencer, the managing editor at the time, gave it the name Alternative Right. So all it meant was it was a catchy name, it was alt-right, it kind of sounded computery, it sounded cool, it was easy to say, but he, um, but the guy who was naming it was a white nationalist. And so he claimed all along that what the alt-right means, essentially, is race realism, as he called it. Um, The alt-light was people who liked all the other trappings of it, the energy, the kind of contentiousness, the the humor, the humor, the memeiness, the irony, but also the like, the the anger, the edge that it had, the 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 way that it was like a rejection of everything that the standard Republican Party stood for, but they claimed that they weren't down with the white nationalist part and with the anti-Semitism part. Now, there's more blurring of those lines than they would like to admit, uh, but they're not open white nationalists. So why did why did you think it would be more interesting to write about uh, the quasi? Rather than the full blown, you know. Well, because the reason nations. the reason I got into it was not to write a taxonomy of how how dark American politics was getting. Like I wasn't, I didn't set out to write a, about politics head on. I didn't set out to do like an anthropology of how bad people can get. I was interested in how the internet was making the Overton window shift. So the Overton window is this concept that you know what what is unthinkable can become thinkable. What is merely provocative now can become unheard of a few years later. And it can shift in all kinds of ways. And sort of my inchoate notion was that it was making things shift, first of all, just broaden in ways that were like, you know, we think that like breadth of opinion and free speech is like basically going to redound to the good, but there's no guarantee that it will redound to the good at all and that if you open it up all kinds of crazy stuff could come in and it was almost like a hypothetical scenario like what if what if nazis were like swept into the overton window that was like something that i would imagine as like a fictional scenario that then i started seeing more and more being a non-fictional scenario so i was using them as a test case the reason i went to the, toward the alt light instead of the alt right was that frankly like nazis are just ridiculous like you you like it's like not even an interesting test case at a certain point because it's like really like it's just so prima facie ridiculous versus the alt light where they can sort of hoodwink people like Tucker Carlson into taking them seriously and sort of dog whistling for them and it was it was a more it felt like a more live possibility that that kind of stuff would enter mainstream discourse we've talked about this um <clears throat> a little bit uh but you know, in in the like podcast sphere of like podcasts uh, that are that have big male audiences, um, 
like a funny a funny thing like seems to have happened where um Jordan Peterson in particular um is giving like legitimacy to some of these ideas that are pretty close to alt-light ideas, right? Um, oh yeah, well, I mean he he was, you know, interviewed in Mike Cernovich's last movie. Uh, Mike Cernovich just did another appearance on Dave Rubin yesterday. I haven't watched it yet. So there, there's definitely overlap between the alt-light and the quote-unquote intellectual dark web or whatever you want to call it. Do you consider um, like uh, th- these podcasts geared towards men like Rogan to be part of the intellectual dark web? I mean, I guess this these four terms are so amorphous. Yeah. But what I'm getting at is that like the Overton window thing, I mean, it expands all the way to even really innocuous seeming things mm-hmm. like Joe Rogan. And, and I like listening to Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I forget like, oh, like some of these guys he has on <laughs> totally are like saying stuff really similar. Well, Joe to- Rogan has had Milo on. He's had Alex Jones on. And he not only doesn't apologize for it, not that I'm like, you know, I must extract an apology from Joe Rogan. Like, I don't care if he apologizes or not, but I find it interesting that Basically, whenever I could have missed one of the times he's talked about it, but basically when I've heard him talk about it, it's been like, well, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. And like that basic stance of like everything just comes down to free speech and there's no other consideration to be had. That's like I just I don't think that's a responsible way of thinking about it. Like, I just don't think. I, I just don't think that's the only value that we're allowed to hold as a society. And it's, I guess it's weird whenever I hear people use that, like that seems like a cop out and that also seems like they don't seem super invested in that idea. They just seem invested in justifying having these people on. Yeah. And like, I don't think that we can impute every one of Alex Jones's ideas to being something that Joe Rogan believes because he had him on his podcast. Like obviously, you know, I could say some wild shit right now that you guys would disagree with and it wouldn't, therefore like impugn your whole podcast it's just like i've never heard someone like joe rogan really wrestle with the idea of i have this huge platform i'm influencing all these people why am i not taking more responsibility for what i put out into the world like i've heard him address that question but generally in a pretty dismissive way well also part of it comes from just he's he identifies first and foremost as a comedian right and we've this andrew also has done some reporting on on comedians um, and and Avi <clears throat> wrote an op-ed actually where he sort of called out Louis for his comeback tour and mm-hmm. the kind of like weakness of his or or just absence of any kind of real reckoning. Yeah. Um, but um, and Avi has, has gone on the Comedy Sellers podcast recently and 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 talked through this stuff. But sometimes it seems like if you identify as a comedian, you can just like. Get out of, relinquish get out of, get out of responsibility for yeah. anything, right? Well, my sense from uh, before I went on that show, I wanted to know what I was getting into, so listen to a lot of their episodes. And comedians are seem very sensitive about being like they never want to be told that they can't say something, right? Um, Which, like, obviously, everybody get. I mean, I feel like you know, it's just worth stipulating, like. The there is no soy boy agenda to like take your speech away and put you in jail for saying stuff. Like I get if you're a comedian or a provocateur or an artist, you think about like Lenny Bruce being arrested for obscenity. You think about Ulysses being banned for obscenity. Like those are oversteps that we have moved beyond. The Overton window has shifted away from that being conceivable to anyone anywhere on any spectrum. So it's not like I I 
very much recoil at this, not, not that you were doing this, but that there are people in, in the world of this stuff who are sort of like, well, there's like a spectrum of that, that either maps onto the left-right spectrum mm-hmm. or onto the like touchy-feely, trigger-warning-y spectrum. Uh, and like on the one hand is like the coddling of the American mind and on the other hand is like free speech. Like that just doesn't make sense to me as a spectrum at all. Like I think you would need at least two dimensions if not four or five yeah. rather than one. And like it, that's exactly the problem is that if you think of it as a sliding scale from one to the other, you're just you're not approaching it correctly. So, um, Which is just to say that comedians like, again, I agree with you that it's a cop out. The idea that like the, the comedian stance is don't throw me in jail for saying jokes like that was that's a straw man. Nobody was ever going to put you in jail for saying jokes. Right. So just don't worry about it. So spending all of this time with um, people, for example, like Mike Cernovich, he's one of the key characters in your book. Uh, um, I want to just focus on, I mean, the, the, a lot of these guys are obsessed with um, race, uh, with Jews, <laughs> but, um, but uh, the, the alt-light <clears throat> guys that you focus on, particularly Cernovich, seem more obsessed with gender dynamics, gender relations, more than anything. Mm-hmm. And they seem, it, it, it's almost like they're less misogynistic than they are um, uh, uh, misanthropic towards soy boys, right? <laughs> like, they hate, <clears throat> they hate soft men, right? And, um, well, can you just, like, articulate for us what what like the guerrilla mindset worldview is like towards like wh- how what's wrong with manhood right now in these guys view and like what's the solution what's the yeah. solution yeah it's a good question i mean i don't know what their diagnosis is exactly because they go back and forth on it i definitely think there's a lot of misogyny there and i do think there's a fair amount of like misanthropy and like maybe even like self-hate or whatever i mean i'm not a i'm not a psychologist and even if i were i am not qualified to <laughs> You know, but I I don't think I don't think even they know what's going on exactly. But um, yeah, I think it's like I guess if I had to guess, it's like we used to know that you know gender roles were meaningful and that like a man was supposed to be like the Marlboro Man and you know whatever. I mean, I'm like making it hokier than they would, but. I think the underlying assumption is like... It was really clear what a man should be. Yeah, it was clear what a man should be. It was clear that there were only two genders and that they should act like their gender stereotypes and they should, you know... um, And that we're just confusing ourselves with all this other stuff. Like, we're confusing... I mean, we are uh, emasculating ourselves. We're, like, making... we're, we're, We're working against nature in some fundamental way. I mean... Gavin McInnes went on Fox News and told a woman on the panel, like, you would be happier if you were a housewife. He, again, claimed refuge in, I'm just a comedian, I'm just messing around. But I think he was serious. I think he thinks that if we stopped working against nature and worked just to, like, perfect ourselves according to these gender archetypes, like, our, you know, forefathers and, well, they would say forefathers, like knew what they were talking about when right. they, and in, in, in its essence, it's just a, it's like a basic conservative thing. Like let's stop moving away from, like we had it right before. And they're also kind of obsessed with like evolutionary biology and like fight or flight. And, you know, it, yeah. like for, you know, whatever hundred tens of thousands of years, we were hunter gatherers and like 
men had the role of hunting and, you know, um, and this is hardwired into us. And like by fighting against it, this is like a, one of Jordan Peterson's key arguments, like by fighting against our like hardwired, um, uh, just like impulses as men, we like get all of this weird repression that like creates like horrible confusion and neuroses and, and like, suicide and, and all these things. Right. I mean, the and, is, and like mass murders, yes, right? Right. Um, and I think, so I think one thing that like left critics of these people often discount is that their critiques are coming from somewhere and they're meaningful. And this isn't to say that they are well-founded. It's just to say like, you hear people say things like, well, it's just based on hatred and fear and ignorance. And like, of course, all those things are in the mix, but I don't think that these stances are reducible to hate and fear and ignorance. I think there's, there's like something before that. There's something before that. And also there's something that like isn't a pure, just like emotional aversion reaction. I mean, emotions obviously are super important, but there are things... <laughs> There are things that are more easily explained by these simplistic explanations than by the more complicated explanations that just happen to be true. So like taking race and gender as examples, you can explain a lot about the world by resorting to really simplistic ideas about gender and race that actually make you have a more simple Occam's razor sounding solution. The only problem with it is that it's not true. But if you d if you take that out of it, like... Of course, like there's all these things that we're struggling to understand. Like, why do we have a rise in depression and autism? I mean, a million things that you look out into the world and go like, why are white lifespans declining at a time of economic bounty? Why are like, why is the opiate crisis? Like all these things that are very hard to understand. Yeah. And if you just go, oh, it's because we're working against our nature. That's right. a very tempting explanation. And to, to debunk it, you have to get into the weeds of like, all kinds of social science and stuff that, mm -hmm. like, that stuff I don't is, want to hear that. Yeah, it's hard to read. <laughs> it's confusing. I mean, Jordan Peterson gets around that by not really reading it very carefully, but... Well, he, he's, he's, like, focusing on dragons and, like, hobbit myths rather... <laughs> but I will say, like, so I, I read... Um, uh, well, I didn't read every word because at a certain point I got exasperated, but I read um, a lot of uh, 12 Rules for Life. What's mm -hmm. it called? Yeah. His newest book, right? Yeah. And I will say, like... When I picked that up, first of all, I was go I was actually going through like a difficult time where like it was actually a period where I had abandoned a novel that I was working on. I was suffering from writer's block. I was feeling like <clears throat> I I had like stopped like I I I had a kid and I had like stopped working out and I was like getting flabby again and like you know, I was drinking too much. And I have to say like I read like the very first chapter, it's like horribly cornily written, but it's about these lobsters like you've read this, right? And it's about these lobsters and it's about how like there's like like a lobster that hunches his back is going to like get like destroyed by other lobsters who are going to like see it as a, like an, an effeminate lobster or whatever and he's not going to get any lobster tail. <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, and he's going to just basically... That's yours, like, right? Not and, his. Yes, that was my, <laughs> was my line. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, but basically... Um, I just but but yeah. he gives the 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 simple like the advice every chapter has one kind of core piece of advice the advice in that chapter is basically like keep your shoulders back and I was thinking about it I was like wow like I have walked around with bad posture my whole life 
I've never felt particularly fucking masculine. And like, and I started like, just for a couple of days, I started keeping my shoulders back and it actually started making me feel like better about myself and more confident. I'm like, so there is something to these guys. And, oh, that's... and smart people we know, like, what, uh, I mean, Wesley Yang, who's a, who's a brilliant writer, wrote a whole thing where he was basically talking about how Jordan Peterson, Jordan Peterson like, saved my life. helped him feel yeah. better. So, so there, it's... I don't think that it's <clears throat> bad self-help advice on that level. And actually, Gorilla Mindset is full of posture advice. This is Cernovich's book, yeah. Gorilla Mindset. Which, Gorilla <laughs> Mindset is not very different from 12 Rules for Life. It's actually not that incendiary. It's actually kind of just corny and boring but it's not <laughs> it's not like offensive yeah i mean parts of it are offensive the gen- but like on the whole it's like sit up straight it's like the same kind of stuff yeah it's not bad advice well but okay but l- well and uh, my sense like what's part of what seems valuable is just telling these people who feel shitty about themselves like you matter you matter enough that i'm gonna tell you how like you're redeemable you like i see that you're more than just a slouchy dude and uh i i like you I, you could be someone i would like you it's know? the same thing to me as like i do not think at all that jordan peterson is as good at self-help as kanye is at music but like if all the world went to jordan peterson for was self-help advice i don't think there's a problem it's when we go to him and say, like, how should we restructure our society based right. on how lobster hierarchies work? Like, what the <laughs> fuck? Who decided that because lobsters have inborn gen- gender hierarchies, like, Fortune 500 companies should, too? It makes right. no sense. And that, that, I mean, and I think that's this, like, slippery slope about so many of these podcasts. Like, I... Um, I mean, I listen to them partly out of morbid curiosity, but also just like admittedly, sometimes they make me feel pumped up. Like before a workout, they yeah. make me feel, they just make me feel good. Also, I think they're designed, I think um, in the in the wake of Me Too, in the wake of Trump's election, obviously there are a great deal of white dudes right now who feel like insecure and beat up upon. And these shows, uh, you know, which very often feature Peterson as a guest. Like Peterson's been, I think, on Rogan like six times. Mm. Like they, the whole idea is like, you don't have to feel bad about your, like here's a space where you can feel decent about yourself and mm-hmm. like you don't have to feel like you're a bad guy, mm-hmm. you know? And, and a lot of it too. And even me, like I, like there's a sucker part of me that's like, oh, all right, I feel comforted by that. Like, and you know, and it's embarrassing. Well, doesn't everyone want to feel that way? I don't <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of also miscommunication where people, um, and I know this because I've met people like this who they see something in BuzzFeed that says like the 21 worst things about white people this month and they get really offended by it. Like you're telling me that I'm bad. I see that and I'm like, this is dumb, but I'm not like they are, a, they are saying that white people are worthless. Like I'm like, this or, is like, or sometimes it's smart and you're like, yeah, they're deliberately engaging in hyperbole. Yeah, I get right. it. Yeah. Sorry. It's a kind of like, <laughs> yeah. if I see someone on Twitter saying kill all men, I'm not like they're coming for me. It's <laughs> like, that's like a joke. That's not my favorite kind of joke, but I get it. I understand it. And it's like, it's fine. But there are people who through whatever combination of like not being read into the cultural conversation, like this is again, this is the kind of thing that if I hadn't done the reporting, I might not take as a good faith confusion. Like I might just take it as an act of trolling. I'm like, yeah, right. There are people out there who think that like kill all men is like genocide against men. But like I've met people who really think that and they are incorrect. I'm not <laughs> denying that, but it's just like a lot. I, I was shocked at how much of this stuff is just miscommunication. How, mm. how much like your thing you're saying about white men feeling beat up on 
is genuinely felt. Because I think a lot of people use that cynically. Obviously, a lot of the leaders of this movement don't feel beat up on in that way, but they're just harnessing that energy. Um, but, and that goes all the way to the highest levels of politics. But um, there are people out there who are like, I am endangered. Like, I'm really... And yeah, I don't think that um, anyone has good answers for them. Like, I also don't think that the people they're going to for comfort have good answers for them, by the way. Yeah. Like, getting pumped up for 10 minutes is yeah. not going to help your life. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. It's a fragility issue, right? I mean, so much of... So, so many of the people that um, you reported on, like, it just... It just struck me like they felt they felt um, hurt by things that they were reading, you know, and yeah. felt and felt scared or threatened on some level. Yeah, and, and look, we all feel <clears throat> hurt and scared sometimes. But I got to say, there were a lot of times when I was like, I feel like I'm the most okay person in this room right now, <laughs> yeah. and I know that I'm supposed to be like the beta soy boy, whatever. But like, I feel fine about myself and my sexuality and like how I'm doing in the world. And, like, maybe that's because of, like, my, like, entitlement or whatever. But, like, maybe it's just psychological, constitutional. But it was a weird kind of reversal to be, like, I'm supposed to be the one that they are making fun of because... Right. And, but I'm, because like... Because supposedly you're insecure and stripped of your manhood and Yeah, I'm, like, whatever. I yeah. feel great about, yeah. like, myself <laughs> and my position in the world. Like, you, you guys are the ones who seem to be suffering. Well, can so, you just speak to that for a second? Because... Like when I imagine doing what you did and like, like if I read like there's certain, if I will read like comments on a website, like it really does get my heart rate, <laughs> like just the animosity. Like I think I am one of those people that like, I don't necessarily feel attacked, but I just, I don't like that much anger, uh -huh. you know, and to be so immersed in it and to come out feeling okay about yourself yeah. and not get kind of contaminated by, by that. I'm just wondering like, yeah. If you could speak to that. There's a contamination factor for sure. Like in the sense that, I mean, I had to take in a lot of, I had to like watch a lot of video footage yeah. from Charlottesville, uh, including like of like the woman getting killed. Like yeah. I had to watch a lot of terrible stuff. Now again, like I have friends who go to Syria and report on ISIS. I have friends. So again, like I'm not a coal miner. I'm not a war reporter. Like, but that's still pretty, it's a lot. Yeah. And I definitely had moments of being like, I don't want to, watch any more of this yeah i even had a thing there's like a little tiny motif in the book about harambe the gorilla because that's like ground zero for a lot of kinds of memes like there's uh -huh. a lot of meme culture that's based on that harambe was the gorilla that got shot at the cincinnati zoo right yeah okay. and there was a time when i looked up on youtube to <clears throat> see if you could see him getting shot in his cage and i had to stop watching those videos Jeez. so like there is stuff that i'm like i, I wish weren't in my brain that is in my brain about being in those rooms with those people though it's like first of all i never felt physically threatened by the alt-light people. The alt-right actual, like, more edging toward the Nazi part of the spectrum, that was a little more ominous. Have you been doxxed? Like, does that... It wasn't as bad as I thought. People would threaten me and, like... Wait till the book comes out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, like, people would... You better get all your shit. <laughs> yeah. No, totally. I mean, I people would send me, you know, DMs that were bad, and people would try to troll me on, you know, in public ways and make stuff making fun of me. But it wasn't... It wasn't as bad as I expected. Because honestly, you, when people found out that you were Jewish, that that's another um, just interesting and kind of funny and crazy part of the book. And it, it was also, it was in the article, right? About yeah, Mike Enoch. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when they found out that you were Jewish, did you get like the uh, 
Photoshop picture of your head on a Auschwitz. Yeah, in Got, gas yeah. chambers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not even like, that stuff didn't affect you. It's not like I mean, I'm I'm sort of making it sound like I'm like dead inside and none of that stuff. Like <laughs> I don't, I don't like it, but I wasn't like I don't know. Look, like I feel like I obviously don't want anyone to like come after me and I like I would definitely find that scary and unpleasant. I don't think they feel like they have any reason to because I think I am not like engaged in a culture war with them in the way that their targets first of all their targets tend to be women and second of all their targets tend to be people who they feel like are engaged in a culture war with them that are like trying to go toe to toe with them. I don't feel like I mean, obviously, like... You're, like, documenting. You're yeah. telling their story. Yeah. yeah, and I am, like, antagonistic to them in many ways that I'm fully open about. I'm not like, gee, yeah. I'm, like, trying to stay neutral about the Jewish right. question. But, like, I am not trying to meme them in a way that would make them want to meme me. Like, I'm not trying to, like, engage on that level. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Where Did you ever have moments... And we, we should really get into yeah. the uh, advice question. Yeah. Um, but did you ever have moments where... Um, you got like temporarily sucked into the blue pill, or is that the right even phrase? Red pill. It, 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 were, Their you, red pill. Did you ever yeah. get temporarily <laughs> not the real sucked red. exactly into the, like <laughs> the real red pill is oatmeal. I mean, I know you're saying that that you felt for the most part solid, secure in your you know manhood and personhood or whatever. Did you ever have moments where you're like shit, like? maybe like I am too weak or like maybe I am a little bitch and like these guys and like maybe like I'm a wimpy Jew and like these guys and like maybe I should like be more like Cernovich or what like did you ever have moments where you were like kind of because you spent so much time hanging out with these people and also it's not like the interactions were always like like I'm sure some sometimes it was fun and like some of these people actually come off as even Cernovich comes off as a pretty nice guy actually. <laughs> nice <laughs> but, guy might be stretching or, it, or but yeah, fun guy, definitely like a fun guy to hang out with. So did you ever have moments where you just were like, um, yeah, maybe like I don't know, like there's something appealing about this, or or were you always able to be at a remove? I mean, I never had a moment when I was like, I really need to fundamentally, obviously like. <laughs> I don't sit there just plugging my ears and going, la, 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 I'm not listening to what you're saying. There are things that a lot of these people would say that I would hear and be like, oh, that's, I mean, like, Gavin McInnes has really good taste in music, for example. Mm -hmm. So I would be like, I, I, it's not like everything he said I would just reject out of hand. Yeah, that seems so hard to, like, yeah, I would yeah. want to reject all yeah, of Yeah, he's got great taste. I mean, he was the godfather of hipsterdom. He yeah. knows a lot about fashion and media and you know Cernovich is a smart guy he's a lawyer he understands he reads a lot like so it's not like I on every level I'm just with every cell of my being like rejecting every syllable these people say but am I going to reorient my life to not be a whatever wimpy Jew soy boy like that's who I am I don't care I'm <laughs> I'm fine with it I'm not like you got to understand that this is like there this is a cultural identity too that what I, my cultural identity is a cultural identity. It's not like a lack of, I mean, maybe it is the difference between being Jewish and being just like garden variety white where you don't feel like you have a cultural identity. I don't know. I have some white friends, non-Jewish white friends who feel that they don't have enough of a cultural identity. And mm -hmm. that, that obviously is a problem and it's a vacuum that bad people can prey upon. Yeah. Um, but also it would be a problem if your whiteness was your entire identity. And like, so, but I don't know. Be, being Jewish is a different thing. 
But also in just taking that whole thing out of it and just doing the masculine thing, like I don't care what, I don't know. Like I It just, sounds like that's been with you for a long time, like not wanting to be yeah, that kind of dude. Anyways. It's fine. And like I've never been, I mean, really the last time I cared was when I really wanted to be Sean from Boy Meets World. <laughs> and then when I accepted that I wasn't going to be that guy, it was like, I'm just Corey. Corey yeah. does fine. Corey ends up with Topanga. Sorry, spoiler. <laughs> but like he's doing fine. He has a kid. They go to college during the college years. They have a kid. Like everyone works out fine. All right, I have one one more question on this, and then I promise we're going to get to the okay. to, to our very important advice segment. Yeah. Uh, um, listening to a lot of these dude podcasts, right? Um, one thing that has given me pause is the question of violence and the question of like I have a son who's two and a half. He is now. For a long time, he was the most zen, chill kid ever. And at the playground, he would be the kid who had a toy, and some dick took his toy. And he was some so dick, <laughs> three year old. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who I wanted some to kill with my yeah. just choke the life out of <laughs> when I saw him. But like my son would always be super chill about it, and and to be like, okay, toys are for, these are public toys. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Now my son is taking toys from people and has become the aggressor. He's that kid. And he's become that kid, oh, and but 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 you know, and and I see obviously like he's he's starting, he's in a violent phase now, and and he 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 pushes kids on the stairs sometimes, like goes out of his way to push kids. And I'm like, where does this come from? Whatever. But anyway, this is leading up to like when he's older. Let's say when he's in um, first grade. I'll give the first first memory I have of being bullied in the schoolyard. Some kid came up to me in first grade. Wow. Just saw, somehow saw that I was a bitch, probably because my shoulders were hunched. <laughs> oh, man. And he came right up to me, and, and um, I guess he saw me looking at him or something. He came right up to me and said, don't fuck with me, and he head-butted me in the head. Wait, right? This how is, old was this kid? This kid was like probably a year older than me. I think he was in second grade. And he's telling you not but, to fuck with him. But, um, but yeah, and, and first of all, I was like, that was such a dumb strategy because your head now hurts too. Um, <laughs> I've never but, uh, understood the headbutt, <laughs> the headbutt as a move. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, but I don't know. I just think about like so many of these um, guys, like particularly on the Rogan podcast, are MMA fighters, and they do talk about like uh, like the, kicking people's asses. Like there was there was a, a guy on la uh, last week who um, was a world weightlifting champion, and then he had uh, he he had a massive heart attack, and he had to get a heart transplant. He was talking a lot about like recovering from that and how. I mean, he didn't. Specific, he didn't use these words, but kind of how the recovery was softening him up in some ways. But he, he said, like, man, it really freaked me out going to a grocery store after the heart surgery because I couldn't do anything physically aggressive. So I was thinking, like, he was scanning the grocery store and he was like, if somebody fucks with me, like, they can just kick my ass now. Like, I've always walked around knowing I can kick someone's ass. But anyway, all of this is a long way of saying, I wonder, like, for the first time in my life, I'm wondering if my son is getting bullied in the schoolyard, um, is it okay to tell him to punch another kid in the face so that they will stop? Because that's the message of all of these dude podcasts, right? That's the baseline. Like, of course, they sh you should punch a bully in the face. I was, uh, I was raised by my soy boy dad to be like, obviously, violence is horrible. Violence begets violence. Don't do it. You know, don't fight back. If you need to talk to the teacher or whatever, and that's what I always did. 
but it never made me feel good about myself. I, I felt like a, you know, a victim. And I wonder sometimes like, I don't know, like, like I wonder sometimes like, is this an area where maybe like the alt light kind of dudes have a point that like, maybe violence like you know in these kind of isolated ways is okay and like i don't know so has there been anything like that that like well yeah i actually don't think that anybody is consistent about their stance on violence on the right or on the left i don't think that any you know all you have to do is you know like there's that nicholson baker book human smoke like all about the pacifist resistance to world war ii and so the way that that was an alternate history just shows like nobody is truly a pacifist. And it seems pretty clear that if Gandhi had had his way, like Hitler would have taken over the world. So like, it's not, I don't think there really is anybody anywhere on a cultural or political spectrum who is consistent about this stuff. The thing that where, where the question of violence became an issue in the work I was doing for the book was the question of Antifa. Cause like everyone can agree that, like Nazi thugs rolling into Charlottesville with automatic weapons, everybody except for those people hates those people. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Mm-hmm. The neocons, like, but the question of what to do in response to that is pretty deeply divided. Do you respond to their violence with self-defensive violence? Do you respond to their violence with preemptive violence? Do you respond to their violence with... Now, in that particular case, I don't think you just have a shootout on the streets. Like, that just wouldn't solve anything. And I actually have, like, great admiration for all the people who are holding hands and sort of singing church songs and doing that kind of resistance. That's, like, real, like, 60s front lines resistance. And, like... I am pretty close to just like nonviolence is the answer being my like political philosophy. That said, there's a difference between nonviolence in the sense of not uh, like initiating aggressive violence and pacifism of just like turning the other cheek no matter what happens. And like when it gets to a scenario like the quote unquote battle of Berkeley or like, you know, the violence that breaks out whenever Richard Spencer tries to speak at a college or whenever Milo tries to speak at a college, I think obviously like the presence of guns heightens and like tra- makes tragic all of these questions. But if you're just talking about fists, like I don't know that the answer is always to turn the other cheek when like proud boys are trying to beat you up. I don't know that, that that's like philosophically or politically smart. Right. I don't think it makes sense to go around like provoking violence unnecessarily. Right. I just don't think it tactically makes sense. But I also, the way that we, as like, by we, I just mean like the general, like mainstream of society have dealt with the question of Antifa violence. I don't think anybody has figured out what to do about that. And I think if, if, if the blanket answer is just like Antifa is bad because they sometimes do violent things, I just don't think that gets at the question of like, what kind of violence are we talking about? Because if it's self-defensive violence, it's just a different thing. What, yeah. what Have you thought about the question of when Gideon is... Andrew has a two-year-old son also. Like when, how to get him into Antifa as quickly yeah, as possible? Yeah. Well, when, when, he, when he goes to school, if, I haven't if he gets there. in a fight, yeah. you, I mean, I, I haven't really thought it through either. I, yeah, and it's not like, it's easy to give a flippant answer of like, I, yeah, I, I don't think there is a good answer to the question of that kind of bullying. Yeah. I, again, like going back to my theme of just kind of, living a a sheltered life 
I've gotten into a couple fights in my life, but they weren't defining moments. What was more defining moments was like using my wits and my words to get out of situations like that. So again, that's like, I've been lucky in that sense. I mean, I do think about, you know, living in New York City, I think about what would I do if somebody like mugged me or whatever. And I just don't think there's a good answer. Like, I don't think the answer is if I were really good at headbutting people, <laughs> I would be able to get out of being shot on the street. Like, that's not an yeah. answer. There's, I mean, it seems like a myth to, like, you're never going to protect yourself all the time. Yeah, like that guy in the grocery store could still get shot. Right, it doesn't right. matter. And this is why, honestly, I don't listen to all the episodes of Joe Rogan, because I'm just not that interested in how fighters... Like, I think being a good fighter is, is cool. Like, being a good accordion player is cool. Like, being a good <laughs> anything is cool. But I just don't see it as this primal, like, this is the only mystery we need to unlock to understand the universe. And, and, and I mean, they often say, like, you'll never know what yeah. kind of a man you are unless you know if you can kick someone's yeah, ass. I'm like, so, you'll never know what kind of a man you are if you don't know how to write a good fucking email. Right. <laughs> or play the accordion. Yeah. This right, is a good, this is a good segue, actually, okay. I think, to this okay. question. Okay. Hey, man, I find myself in a confusing and uncomfortable situation, and I don't know what to do. I recently moved to New York from Maine, where I grew up and went to college, and I've been living with the same group of guys for about nine months. I like them all, and I feel a bit of pressure to fit in. I'm not a typical bro, but I know how to act that way, and I want everyone to like me. Since I've lived there, I've become really good friends with one guy. We hang out one-on-one, and I've had some real honest conversations that feel deeper than the usual bro-y banter that we all engage in as roommates. Lately, though, something's shifted, and he's been teasing me in front of our other roommates in ways that feel like more than just ball busting. I'm 5'7", skinny, and I'm almost always the smallest guy in the group. It's something that I've always felt self-conscious about, and he's been teasing me about my size in ways that feel humiliating, especially since it's in front of our roommates and sometimes their girlfriends. This also isn't the first time something like this has happened. In high school, some good friends also bullied me in much worse ways, but again, by humiliating me in front of other people. I'm not sure what to do. Am I just being extra sensitive to the situation because of what happened before? Is there legitimately something wrong with me that I'm being targeted again? How should I handle this and what should I do? Signed, Wimpy in Williamsburg. All right, I am actually just going to cut straight to the advice. <laughs> Pull your fucking shoulders back. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter <laughs> one. <laughs> uh, Get so, a spinier lobster shell. <laughs> I, I didn't expect this to match up so well with like what we had just been talking yeah. about. But so he, I mean, um, first thing that pops out to me is just that this is a pattern. Yeah, that like he has been the dude who gets shit on at different stages in his life, right? That's um, that to me too. And I don't think just because you're short, you get. It's also five seven, isn't that short? <laughs> That's true, actually. Yeah, you're right. Five seven is not that short. But so I was I, waiting for the like. I've got this really weird birthmark that makes me a freak. It's like it's my, funny. My thing is I'm average height. Yeah, <laughs> like I I think we all have our thing yeah. that we think makes us horrible, or you know, you can go there. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's like nobody else cares most of the time. Right. But it might. I mean, I don't know. I'm just uh, uh, speculating based on my own past when i used to get kind when i i mean to some degree i still even get um like grouped on by my my group of college friends sometimes Mm -hmm. and i think and and i definitely got um i mean i don't want to make it seem like i was a, a victimized bullied kid i was relatively popular and socially successful but i was 
in the echelon of popular and socially successful kids, I was the one who got shit on mm-hmm. in that group. So mm-hmm. like, and and looking back on it, I mean, I definitely, um, I, I mean, without going too far into it, like I now realize that um, I was clearly making myself a target in some ways. How you know? so? Uh, I mean, you don't have to get too into well, it. Well, no, I think I think I was. How did that make you feel? Uh, <laughs> but I think I was being. Um, I don't know. I, I I think I was. I, as listeners can probably tell, I fucking talk a lot, right? <laughs> so I, I think I talk a lot when I'm nervous, and I think like um, you know, so that could have been one factor. Like, here's this kid who talks too much, and also they could sense like, oh, he, he's like an anxious, nervous Got kid, it. and like sense some weakness there. Maybe you're also a very fun. earnest person, and um, and um, I can be earnest, and you know, I mean, I have my nasty acerbic uh, side that can come out, but I, but I allow an earnestness to come in. And I mm-hmm. think that is, that is a factor that um, can sometimes call, lead to be, so he doesn't really get into, I mean, we can only right, speculate why he's, but it does. I, I wonder though, like in general, when, when an adult, I mean, when a kid is getting bullied, it's usually for the stupidest shit. Like they have a birthmark or, you know, but you're, I, you're getting at something that I feel like we talk more about how shitty it is to be a bully and how mean that is. And we don't talk about like the the person who's bullied does often open themselves up in some way to being bullied. Like some people don't get bullied, or someone uh, tries to fuck with you and it just doesn't. It rolls work. off, yeah. right? And they and they move on, but they it sticks with the person where it has an impact. And, and yes. there's something about you that's al- that is allowing that. And I will happen. say, like, I mean, so that's def- my motto: blame the victim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a good therapist, right? <laughs> Definitely for me, though. Um, I would say it was just the fact that I deeply cared what other people thought exactly. about me at that mm-hmm, age. Mm-hmm. So, and and you know, these kids could probably sense that I deeply cared about what other people thought about. Me. Yeah, otherwise, it's not fun. The yeah. thing I thought about this all the time when I was a kid because my whole portrait of myself as like impervious to like being like trolled by alpha males. Yeah. That only locked in as an adult. As a kid, I was like a fat kid who got bullied all the time. Mm. And I used to study. Because it's exactly what you're saying. There were fat kids who didn't get bullied. Yeah. Right. I was like, how do they pull it off? And I think it, it, I must have eventually figured this out. I know the answer now, which is they didn't care. They were just who they were. Mm-hmm. They were like, yeah, I'm the fat kid. Yeah. It's a, it's a physical fact about me. Yeah. And just you can tell me I'm fat and I just don't care. It's like, look at how cool like fat rappers are. They're like, yeah, right. fat is in my name. Like, go <laughs> ahead. Sell, tell me I'm fat. Yeah. That's my name. Yeah. I don't care. Like... So, but as a kid, I could not, I was not okay with who I was. So I was not, and so I would let it get to me every time. And then you just create more of a, I don't know how you, although I guess because this is an advice thing, I don't know how you get out of that. If you don't want to be, I mean, this guy's saying he doesn't want to be slightly less than average height and skinny or whatever his thing is. Sorry. uh, That's your thing. I mean, you could, you could work on the skinny part. You can't work on the height part, but like. It's okay. I mean, I guess the real, I think with so many like heterosexual male things, the real underlying thing is you're not like sexually desirable enough. That's always the thing. Like, you know, that's the undercurrent of every kind of male to male straight guy bullying. But it's like guys telling it, like, it's not like he's hearing this from women. Right. Right. It's It's guys insulting him. Right. And humiliating him. In front of women. Yeah. Who are other people's girlfriends who he's ostensibly not trying to get with anyway. Yeah. I mean, it feels very, yeah, th- this guy, like, 
it feels very primate, like that totally. he's sort of being targeted. That and, is actually, to get back to your question about w- was there any insight that you did kind of like gravitate toward with the alt-light type stuff. I don't, I, so the way I answered that was, did you ever like want to try to change the way you lived according to their principles? And the answer to that is no. But the notion, so Cernovich's whole brand is guerrilla mindset because his insight is that a lot of people make decisions based on what I call in the book brute simian logic. <laughs> that like, you can make fun of me by branding myself a gorilla. You can say I'm a big dumb ape or whatever, but like, that's work. That's going to work for me more often than it's not. And like, he could have branded himself the nerdy lawyer guy who grew up poor and and made a rags to riches. Like that might have been his self branding in the eighties, but his self branding now is I'm a fucking gorilla. And like, so I never was like I should brand myself as a gorilla. But I was like, that is his insight that people respond better to that than they think they will. Is right, I think. Which is the thing, though. Is it the clarity of saying this is what I am or there's something about being a gorilla that people do respond to? I think that people, like, if you are, like, a big guy who is confident, people are going to respond well to that in ways that are totally unjust sometimes. And that, like, in the way that, like, it should not be the case that, like, the male tall person is more likely to be president than the shorter or more female person. Yeah. That's obviously an injustice in our society, but it's also a true fact. Yeah. So yeah. like acknowledging that true fact and harnessing it to your advantage is just like an entrepreneurial advantage. Now this guy can't make himself taller than he is, but he can make himself more confident than he is. I don't think that being more confident is the answer to like all your problems in life, but it would help with this. It scenario. helps with a lot of <laughs> yeah. problems. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's where it gets tricky though. How do you how the become fuck more do you confident? become more confident? I mean, honestly, and also, how do you become more confident by not just being <clears throat> a dipshit or a douchebag? Right, because I think like there's a part of me, or like me in middle school, would be like, okay, like you should work out, yeah. dude. Yeah. Like if yeah. you're five seven and skinny, like if you feel better about your body, yeah. then like I mean, honestly, I'm not discounting. Like the, I think that might be kind of true. I want to get back to the question of whether you should work out. <laughs> well, that's uh, always but, your answer. But I think I think um, I think. Like to to this question of like com- being confident doesn't mean being a dick. Like the game, the whole like book. Yeah, I was the thinking game, about that too. Like that is about being a dick. Like yes. it's, it's about like negging the woman. Oh, like yeah. saying mean things to the woman. Well, there's a huge part yeah. of yeah. my book that is about pickup artistry, and actually yeah. not even the guy. So the game was by this guy Neil Strauss, who was a journalist who did a participatory observer thing, and then got totally and then got sucked in. Yeah. Um, which is I think what people are like afraid of when they think of me doing this stuff. Right. But um. And then was like going around trying to ghostwrite Alex Jones's book and stuff. Like wow. he, he got sucked away. I feel in. really like I've heard interviews with him. I feel bad for that. Yeah, <laughs> but um, this stuff, uh, like there's like the people I write about were like the real version of that, not yeah. like the guys who went on MTV with eyeliner and stuff. They were like, and so this is why I'm always cautious to say you should be confident and be a dick and nag mm-hmm. people because it'll make you feel better. It's like, what do we mean by feel better? It would right. also make you feel better to do a bunch of coke and buy a right. Maserati, but like, <laughs> yeah. th- what it, like yeah. maybe for a day. But yeah. that's not a good answer. So, like, becoming an asshole and a misogynist, and like, will it mean that you can pick up women in bars? Yeah, I'm sure it will. But yeah. like, I don't think that what it's you're not actually going to fill the hole inside. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I have, there are jokes <laughs> I'm not making, but yeah, that's like, I don't think, and like, that seems like a squishy kind of kumbayaish kind of answer. But it goes back to the thing we were saying about hedonism and food. It's yeah. the same thing with hedonism and sex and relationships. You can have the McDonald's version, which is I 
want to have sex with a stranger now. Yeah. But it's, I mean, whatever. Like, for some people, that that makes them feel better the next morning. We do live fine. in a world, you can do any of this sure, shit now. that's fine. Like, yeah. Right, so get an app and go do that. Yeah. But, like, it's not, um, it, that doesn't answer the question of what will actually make you fulfilled in a longer right. time frame. Yeah. It just doesn't. Maybe it's that. But, like, it, it, for one thing, it's not, like, necessarily the best kind of hedonism on a, like, week-long basis rather than a day-long basis. And the other thing is there are certain moral boundaries that, like, people shouldn't cross. And being, like, an asshole and hurting people is one of them. Right, like manipulating women <laughs> so they'll have sex with you. Literally, the, 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 the thing, there's, like, all this, there's this whole, like, glossary of, like, all these specif- specific terms of, like, sexual marketplace value and, like, ways that the hamster wheel, there's all this terminology in pickup artistry that gets super deep. And it's, it's like any other internet nerd subculture. You can just go down a rabbit hole with it. I would advise that you don't. But, like, one of their terms is the dark triad. And if you really want to pull a lot of women and, like, make a lot of closes or whatever the fuck their thing is, you should exhibit the dark triad of personality traits. The dark triad is Machiavellianism, narcissism, and psychopathy. (laughs) They're like, hey, it works really well, you know? And it's like, Uh, I'm sure it does, man. I'm sure it does. But if you've gotten to the point where you're like, in order to get laid, I'm going to become a psychopath, something went wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, So, but yeah, I guess I was going to, my thought though is like, what is appealing about all of these things is agency, right? Is being able to say like, I'm in control. I Mm -hmm. can do something. I'm Mm going to, that those things all give you, whether Mm -hmm. it's working out or, oh, now I do know how to, uh, get laid mm-hmm. i guess or, well yeah. okay so to get back to the to the working out thing right yeah <laughs> i uh, here here's here's one reason why i'm not ruling out he should go work out uh i i don't think that he should work out to get bigger muscles because i, I actually think like if you feel insecure about being short and then you're the yeah. short guy with huge muscles it's you're still gonna very feel insecure. transparent are we still uh, doing the joe rogan critique uh, podcast yes, or, yes. yeah <laughs> but uh but i do think i do think like a uh a a the reason to actually work out is because it's doing something hard and uncomfortable consistently and when you do something hard and uncomfortable consistently that is a pretty good formula for confidence Mm -hmm. because you're like oh i proved to myself over and over that i'm okay with doing something hard and uncomfortable so and, and meditation is a similar thing meditation um is extremely hard and uncomfortable i think for almost everybody who does it um and i think meditation does help build confidence if you do it even though you know it's going to be hard and you're going to fail uh over and over and over again like that's the kind of thing that so 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 i actually think there is an answer to the like how do you get confidence Mm -hmm. i don't i don't think you get Mm -hmm. i don't think you ever get confidence through an epiphany yeah. Or through an advice book. You do not get confidence from even reading a Jordan Peterson book. Mm-hmm. But you might get confidence from reading a Jordan Peterson book and then having that spur you to like become a serious meditator or something. I think yeah. the way you get confidence is through a routine practice and doing this fucking thing over and over and over and but over. Like this sense of like expanded capacity that yeah. you can only really get if you dedicate yourself to something. Yes. That's what you're saying. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think that's the best thing about Jordan Peterson is the idea that like meaning and value come from struggle from carrying a heavy load as he mm-hmm, says mm-hmm. I think that's the thing I agree with him about the most yeah I, I totally me too um, 
So I think I, you should do the advice round as a Jeopardy thing where you say <laughs> the answer is work out and meditate and then ask the question. <laughs> <laughs> right. By the way, meditation is something that um, uh, I partially learned about through talking to Andrew, or at least going oh, on really? a retreat. Uh, I had never been on, I've now been on several retreats, but Andrew had gone on a couple of retreats and, and, uh, sort of gave me a sense of what it was like. He was the one that put the idea of going to a retreat uh, into my consciousness. And I went on a seven-day retreat. The first retreat I did was seven days. Wow. Definitely the hardest thing right I've in. ever done yeah. in my life. By, hardest, far, yeah. by far the hardest thing I've yeah. ever done in my life. Mine were 10 days. It was definitely um, the hardest thing. And uh, you, Yeah, you're now, you're now better at being a regular meditator than I am, which is great. But that, but that um, I was totally the same way, like with in terms of, I don't know if it's confidence, but just like faith in your ability to tough it out because mm -hmm. I didn't know how to write a book and people were like how are you going to write a book I was like I have no idea but I've done this other thing that I know is harder uh-huh uh-huh yeah, yeah that I mean honestly like now I'm I'm in a really like disciplined workout thing there's no way I would have been able to get to that without having done a seven it's true every time I think about like oh this is going to be way too hard I'm like somehow I managed to do a fucking silent retreat for seven days. And the reason why, by the way, it's so crazy, these retreats, I can't even imagine 10 days, but like... Uh, There's three extra days. So. You don't even get to write in your journal. You don't even get to read a book. Wow. You don't get to do anything but meditate. That's all you're allowed to do the whole time. I mean, you actually could cheat and then you'd waste I your actually experience. won, so I did two. One of okay. them I cheated and did the journal, but it was yeah. actually... I feel like comparing the one I did and the one I didn't, I actually would do it again with a journal because otherwise it's just you're trying to hold on. If the idea is to let go of your thoughts, I could just let go of them by putting them out there. And then I was like, I could like burn the journal at the end. I was glad I didn't because I ended up writing an this essay a, about it. Right. This was a big part of struggle yeah. for me. It was like every time I would have like a thought that I really wanted to hold yeah. on to, mm -hmm. I would stress mm -hmm. so much mm -hmm. about yeah. whether yeah, I was yeah, yeah, That yeah. stress was but, what I was trying to get out of. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. But but look, it, it like I've never talked about doing a retreat on on any of our conversations uh, on the podcast, but but it, 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 it I totally recommend it, even if you don't know anything about meditation, um, and if you've basically barely meditated. I think a retreat is an amazing experience. I've uh, only done like a weekend, but you guys are making me want to go for the long, <laughs> the long haul. <laughs> yeah, it is a different thing. It's yeah. a but but yes, nothing is scarier than being alone with your own thoughts and not having anyone to share it with for a long time. Okay, anyway, but let back, me back so to the question. The thing yeah. that we're really not talking about though, maybe because we're all soy boys, is because is that uh it we can talk about building confidence, but this guy's friend is fucking with him. Right. And like what should he do with that? With well, I think that the thing that Sam started with is that it'll become less fun to fuck with you if you're oh, less if you're just unruffled yeah. and like just like oh, yeah. Well, I think that's part of the answer to why didn't the alt right guys and alt light guys go after me more is that it just wasn't that fun for me. It wasn't that fun for them, sorry. At first I was really trollable. What would you do what would you do though, like in, in this situation, it's not just like any roommate. This is a guy <laughs> that he also feels close with, which feels seems more complicated. Well, he got into this thing where he called it ball busting. He couldn't tell what was the line between ball busting and real. Yeah. I, I Which feels that. like a lot of male friendships I get that. to me. Yeah. I've been in male spaces where it was like, you don't want to go to zero because then you're really an outcast. If nobody is 
ragging on you at all right then you're really the weirdo Mm -hmm. so if you have these roommates and nobody calls you short ever or whatever yeah it's just like it has like a certain kind of good right it's just a certain tinge to it that he thinks is crossing a line and i do feel like their relationship is not the kind of one where he could sit down and be like i would like to have a serious talk with you now that really hurts my feelings (laughs) maybe this is is funny like a lot of the questions that we deal with end up coming back to this like ultimate um dilemma of whether you should just like confront your friend. It's worrisome and, and we to never me. Say you should we, do yeah, it's worrisome to me that we always land on don't do anything, it'll blow over. <laughs> it's okay. Well, actually, no, often not to get too meta, but often what will happen is we'll be like, all right, do this like um do this like sort of more avoidant uh like either white lie strategy or like just like slipping your way out of the situation strategy rather than direct confrontation, then we'll like come back in the other direction and be like, all right, let's like man up here and do the, <laughs> let, let's do the hard version, which is the direct confrontation. And then we end up kind of like settling on like, okay, what is like a more direct confrontation that isn't like weird and like autistic and alienating right. um, to, to do to like, cause let's, let's be real. It would be so weird if there was somebody that you felt close to, one of your male friends who you rag on, and all of a sudden he's like, "We need to have a sit down convo <laughs> about how you trample my feelings." You'd be like, "Be like, what? That I would, I would be so weirded out by that that I would actually like question whether or not I wanted to be that dude's friend." To be honest. Well, I mean, it would be like, this dude is so hypersensitive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, this is annoying. I've had this. It wasn't with getting ragged on or whatever, but there. I've had a couple of, I've had a thing where there's something that a male friend is doing that's hurting my feelings where I'm like trying to decide whether to make it a thing or not. Mm -hmm. And I generally do the more avoidant thing like you're talking about, partly because I'm scared and I don't want to have that awkward conversation, but also partly because there, there are some kinds of awkward conversations that it's hard to go back from. Even if you survive the half hour of awkwardness, you can never unhave that conversation. So it's like, it changes the tenor of the relationship you know it's worrisome to me first of all i agree and i'm trying to imagine a situation which i would also bring it up and i don't think not to get like super this is the another trope of our conversations which is like gendering it and stuff but like i don't think women worry about like Mm. they totally do have those conversations and their relationships do bounce back i think you know like it's it is a little too bad i worry that we're just like perpetuating the same thing of like just don't uh let it blow over. Right. And I have had, I mean, I don't even know how gendered it is because I've had conversations with female friends, conversations with male friends that do get really, you know, earnest and deep and sort of personal. But about them, and it's about fine. someone hurting your feelings, yeah. I have, yeah. And it's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it's not and you aren't friends anymore, but sometimes it's totally fine. Yeah. It's just, it depends on the nature of the relationship. Like, yeah. I have people who I, could sort of have any kind of conversation with you know what i i mean this also makes me think about this like i can have those conversations with people that i've known for a long time right. or feel really close with and there is like kind of i'm not sure how you make that transition mm-hmm. in a relationship mm-hmm. to suddenly like we're gonna like talk about my feelings you hurt them you know like, i think you said it i think it's time it's time just trust in time and then one day someone has to i take can't imagine lead. being like within a six-month window of a friendship oh, yeah, that and would be, be like, intense. I would like you to have a seat. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, this isn't worth it anymore. But yeah, six years, I mean, that's a different thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 
I'm trying to think of like what's an example without naming particular friends, but like what's what's an example of like the kind of thing that a male friend has done that like hurt you or annoyed you that you then confronted him on? Because I'm trying to, th- I mean, I guess- so I had a friend who um, is a very go with the flow kind of guy, mm-hmm. and I love hanging out with him. I love talking to him. And this is just part of who he is. I don't expect that to change. But part of what I like about... It's great to be a go-with-the-flow person, but it also means that I don't feel like he's always prioritizing me like, you know, when he comes to town, he really wants to make time for me and see me and stay with me and, you know, meet my kid and all that stuff. I feel like he's like, oh, we'll see what happens. And I'm like, dude, you're in town for a week. Let's pick a day. Like, I'm busy. I don't see you all the time. Like, commit a day to me to like hang out with me that would yeah. make me feel important and it would mean that we would actually see each other yeah rather than like ah i don't know the day kind of got away from me like maybe next time i come to town in a year like that hurts my feelings yeah and so i'm like do i he would totally understand and it wouldn't at all i'm not worried that it would end our relationship it's just my only hesitation is like a do i want to create an hour of awkwardness in both of our lives and b do i want to have him then feel because he would feel bad he would be like, of course yeah. I don't want to hurt your feelings. Like I, I just I just am a go with the flow kind of guy. And it's like, how much is it worth it? Or would it even change anything? That, so I have a friend who's the exact same way, and I feel hurt particularly that he doesn't really seem to care about meeting my new kid. I have a new four month old. Uh <clears throat> or really cared about meeting my older kid either. Um, but but also part of what I appreciate Which about is our- like just to pause on that, did you care about meeting people's kids before you had kids? Because um, it hurts my feelings too when people don't make a big deal about the fact that I had a kid. But I'm trying to put myself in a position of like, was I organically like desirous of meeting someone else's baby? I, I am now because I know what, how cool yeah, babies no, are. No, back then I was far less. Yeah, dependent on the friend. Yeah, but I, definitely I was far less. Uh, like, I, I, yeah. I mean, Sasha, my wife, was like much more enthusiastic about the kid meeting yeah. than I was. Yeah. Um, now I'm now I am enthusiastic, totally, and not just because it's tit for tat. I just like realize how amazing it is. Oh yeah, I would hang out with uh, toddlers all yeah. day long. If I could. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but um, but but yeah. So I have this friend who's super go with the flow. Yeah, and he doesn't have kids. Uh, and um, and but what? And also, I feel hurt by him sometimes that um, he could just go through incredibly long periods of time without being in touch. Uh. But I feel torn because I'm like, part of what I like about this dude is, is that, that quality. Is that quality yeah. that he's a go with the flow guy. He can drop into my life. We can have an amazing time. And then like he'll be gone for a while, but like it's not, it's a low commitment thing or whatever. So, um, but I don't know, just, just thinking about all this, like I'm realizing like, uh, I I do I do think it's a gendered thing that dudes have a much deeper like fear of awkwardness mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in 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 confrontation than um, than than women seem to, and um, like like Sasha is really good at just like directly talking to her friends when she feels like they've been like letting her down or like not. not My wife is so good at it to the point where I am like I think that the health of our marriage is because of it, <laughs> like the, her ability to do that with me yeah because there's no there's no non-awkwardness marriage that doesn't that's not an option yeah so she's just like we're gonna do this and i'm like 
please let me go to sleep. <laughs> like, I just would rather, she's like, it's two in the afternoon. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I, uh, uh, but it's like, and sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm like, this isn't a productive conversation. But most of the time, if there's something there to be yeah. worked out in a marriage, it's like, she's right that it should be worked out and she's right about how to do it. I guess I, I agree with you and it, and it makes me think like, when you're, you know, the thing that, I think a lot of us forget when it comes to our guy friends is like when you're pissed at someone or hurt, like it, it is a pull for the relationship. Like you're saying, like, even if you're mad, like it's going to make us closer if we could figure this out instead of like, like I have friends just like the ones that you two were talking about. And it's like, it kind of trickles away slowly. Like if, if you don't speak up for it, then like, well, then he may never come in to see, you know, and like, and yeah. you'll resent him and stop texting as right. much because he's not trying so hard and right. it just kind of goes away. Right. And it's just so uncomfortable to imagine saying anything. Yeah, I'm just trying, uh, so I'm just trying to imagine because, okay, so I actually think like in Andrew's example and my example, like those are examples where we should just say something to this friend. Like, I really want you to meet Mike. And I think there's a way to say it in a non-guilt trippy way. It's like, yo, come on. Like you could even like, what's wrong with them feeling a little guilty? There could be a jocular edge to it. Be like, bro, like stop being a fucking flake. You need to meet my seed. Get the fuck over here. You know, like you can do it in a, you can do it in a way where you don't have to utter the phrase, you hurt my feelings, Uh you know, but, um, but this guy's situation, the reason why it's, I feel like it's even more awkward. Well, it's a new relationship for one. But yeah, it's a new yeah. relationship, and also just the the question of um, like humor and being offended that gets into the whole like snowflake thing mm-hmm. of like is he like maybe it is his issue that he's just super easily offended? Like, what's his deal? You know, and like. And you don't want to seem like a, a snowflake to this guy that you really like and want to be a friend with, want to be closer friends with. Like yeah. you don't want to seem like a snowflake. So if you are calling him out, you are you are playing your hand and admitting on some level that you are a snowflake or, well, you, I mean, or that the, you're offended. The yeah. solution that I I don't know if it's the right solution, but it's the one that I would probably have implemented if I were in that situation is to just come up with a better comeback. Mm-hmm. Like if the if the scenario repeats itself in this Groundhog Day kind of way, yeah. like yeah. he calls you short in front of people, yeah. Yeah. you know the guy. Come up with a better insult, mm-hmm. one that's proportional, not one that's like I read your secret diary and I'm going to humiliate you, but just like <laughs> yeah. I there's a physical thing about you that I can rag on, and like either that will like release your tension because you'll feel cool for a second, yeah, or it will make him get a taste of his own medicine or whatever. I mean, it's like you yeah don't have to just sit there. Just I like kind of I mean I kind of do like like that solution um i mean it is it is in a way akin to punching the bully in the schoolyard it, yeah. it is playing fire playing mm-hmm. fighting fire with fire but it's not even fire it's like totally fine for but people it's still to call each other names it's right not. right and i think i think and and but if he's gonna play that game he's gonna fail unless he has actual confidence like yeah. so first he's got to meditate so, meditation retreat go, and lift yeah, weights yeah, yeah. because and he, while you're meditating just think the whole time of the perfect <laughs> of the perfect yeah. insult and then come you back got 10 days the jerk store call they're out <laughs> of you. exactly but the problem the problem is even if he comes up with a good zinger if he delivers it in in, in a, a not confident way then he's just gonna con- like he's Look, gonna it's continue a, to get yeah paid, you know? it's a struggle to you're gonna have to work at it I guess but I mean I guess the only like the best case scenario of that is not that like 
<laughs> it's not that you know how to deliver one jab and then you don't know how to like yeah. defend yourself after that. Yeah. Like the the best case scenario is like the scales fall from the bully's eyes and he goes like, oh that that's what it feels like to go a little bit too far. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then you're showing rather than telling. Right. That's right, a right. Good, that's a great point. I also just think that we should leave open the uh, door to the possibility that like um, maybe you. Uh, have poor taste in wanting to be such good buddies with this guy. Yeah, like if this has happened to you <laughs> twice in your life, like it's possible that like you need to develop this skill and then like the friendship will change mm. and you'll stop getting fucked with. Or like, yeah, you're kind of gravitating towards like these dicks yeah. mm-hmm. and, and you want to find other friendships. I mean, how old is this guy again? I don't know if he's, he's in said. his 20s. Um, I've, or did yeah. he not sounds, say? It sounds say. very Because I was yeah. going to say like one one of the great pleasures of being in in my 30s is that like um i just so rarely encounter other dudes my age like giving a, then it's me a weird. hard time yeah. being a dick. <laughs> you know like it's so much rarer than it was in my 20s and like way rarer than it was someone coming over to your house with a baby bjorn and being like <laughs> your hair sucks <laughs> exactly so like you know it's but, very transparent what's going on yeah. yeah so 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 basically uh it gets better yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you will, you will eventually, you will eventually uh, have fewer uh, friends who do. But look, it's kind of a, it's a slightly red flag that even in, even in the twenties, if there is a dude who is insensitive enough to not just kind of rag on you in private, but to do it in front of other dudes and their girlfriends, yeah, like. Yeah. That's a red flag about this guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm you know, he might have a lot of redeeming qualities and like come up, try to come up with the zinger with confidence. See if that like cools But also, down. yeah, don't worry about like if I don't know, the like why does this guy have to be your friend? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. just you can live with him and have him be your roommate yeah. and go find friends somewhere else. I'm yeah. sure there's an app for that too. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, my um my meditation teacher like talks a lot about like how to deal with difficult people. And, you know, I, the, the, the preferred first option is to have a mindful approach and to not allow them to, um, he talks about basically like, um, cutting the cord. So if, if there's like, if someone turns on a light switch, but you cut the cord, like the light is not going to turn on. Mm -hmm. So like somebody can, somebody can insult you. You do not have to be hurt and angry by the insult. If if you're good at practicing mindfulness or whatever, but he says like, and then at a certain point, you know, like you can walk away at a certain point. (laughs) Like you don't have to tough it out forever and, uh, and, and try to make it better. Like at a certain point, a good way to deal with difficult people and and a humane thing to do for yourself and for them is to leave and it's humane for them too because like they need to start getting the fucking picture yeah that it's not cool to like rag on your 25 year old bro for being <laughs> short you know <laughs> yeah. like you're he, this guy needs to get a clue or he's gonna end up friendless himself you know mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. um it's kind of reminding me of the have you ever seen that show the other two uh it's a really good show it's on, oh about the, the about the justin bieber kid yeah i've, I've seen the ads but yeah oh it's yeah really oh, it's, good it's recent right yeah, yeah it's, it's two good. siblings the other two is the other two siblings of the teenage heartthrob yeah. pop star they're the older brother and sister and the older brother has a crush on his straight roommate uh-huh but his straight roommate also kind of just decides to make out with him sometimes <laughs> so it's a great it's like a really good b plot in this show but it's 
all these things where this guy is so much cooler than his meathead roommate who he just like physically finds attractive. So he keeps hanging out with his dumb roommate and his dumb friends and trying to appease their dumb sensibilities when he is cooler. Like, I don't know this guy. I don't know if he's cooler than his roommates or not. But like what the what this guy in the show should really be doing is making friends with people who he's actually friends with. Right. Right. Uh, And he's and in the show, you understand why he's hanging around because he like wants to have sex with this guy. The. This I don't yeah, understand no inc- what what's yeah, in it for you. Yeah. My um my like Bible for that is the uh uh like penultimate episode of Freaks and Geeks, um, which I watched so many times as I was writing my book for inspiration. But um, it's good but, for the like for the Boy Meets World, my so called life vein of like yeah, it's good, it gets better kind of television. Totally, and and. I mean, the best, I think this is like one of the greatest episodes in TV history, but Daniel Desario, who is played by James Franco, who's like the cool kid, badass, whatever guy, gets like in trouble and he's forced to go hang out with the geeks who all work in the AV room, like setting up the audiovisual mm-hmm. equipment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Breakfast Club. And yeah, and he realizes that he actually like kind of likes them way better than his cool friends. Yeah. And... um they like want like the most socially awkward of the geeks, this really fat, smelly kid is like, Hey, like we're doing D and D this Friday and we're going to like have some cans of soda and some like sweet snacks. Do you want to come over? <laughs> and like the other geeks are like, Oh God, I can't believe you just did that. But he's like, sure. And like, he goes over and has like the best night of his entire life. Yeah. And I just, I just that love that. Really like, ultimate that nerd porn. Like totally. I could get James Frank. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> But uh, but I don't know. I mean, I think yeah. At a certain point, yeah, find um, find, find your, find your geek friends. Yeah. you know, find your short friends. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, and 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 also like you know, just I, I like the idea of 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 uh, of trying to to push back with with your wits because it's also just that will be a good indicator of like the kind of dude this guy totally. is. Totally, can you um, pick uh, up on it or not? Yeah, you're, that's yeah, if your, he just headbutts you in response, then like you should <laughs> right, find a new apartment. Right, yeah. Exactly. All right, cool. I think cool. we're good. Yeah, I think we're good. Um, thank you to um, Andrew Morantz. Uh, just you. tell everyone again, name of your book, when it comes out. How uh, it. It's called Antisocial. It comes out October 8th uh, from Viking. And uh, and if people want to follow you socially or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's Andrew Morantz at Twitter. Um I won't make fun of you for being short. I don't really go on Twitter, but you, I do sometimes. You also have, like, uh, you did a TED Talk. Is that going to be available on YouTube anytime soon? Or? I think before the book. Yeah, I don't know when this podcast comes out, but okay. um, yeah, it'll be sure. before the book. So uh, The book is, I don't think we've even said it. It's antisocial, um, online extremists, techno-utopians, and the hijacking of the American conversation. Hmm. So it's about everything you care about. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a great book. So definitely pick, pick up a copy. All right, everyone, that's it for our show this week. Uh, as always, if you have a question, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to put your question up on the show. You can uh, email it to us at heymanpod at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail, if you're brave, 917-426-4326. Um, we can put it up on the air if you just want us to transcribe it and not use your voice let us know that's fine too but i think i think it would mean a lot to other people to hear from a a real person instead of just hearing us read read your words so think about it you can 
find us on Instagram or Twitter. Much more active right now on Instagram than Twitter, but hopefully going to change that soon at HeyManPod. And uh, could you just take a moment, please, like right now, or finish listening to me, and then right after, uh, we could, we'd really appreciate it. If you like the show, give us a five-star review. If you don't like the show, give us a five-star review because someone else might like the show and that would help them find it. Uh, And we'd really appreciate it. And all of these podcast sites, their algorithms, that's how it works. Um, A review, uh, written words would mean a lot too. Um, Don't just keep your good feelings to yourself. Share it with the world. Thanks so much and have a great week.